If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. Hello and welcome to the No Need for Prince Charming podcast. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by City Fertility. With a diverse range of sperm donors to choose from and no waiting time, City Fertility are ready to help you fulfill your dreams of growing your family, just like they helped me grow mine. Visit City Fertility today to learn more. Welcome to the podcast today, Renee. I would love to start by understanding what led you to make the decision to become a solo mum by choice. Um, yeah, so I have um, always wanted to be a mum. I guess it's kind of an age-old story, like from when I was a, a young person, um, you know, would play games about being a mum and I talked about it a lot and um, as I became an adult, I was really conscious that this, that was something that I wanted to do. Um, I guess I travelled and had relationships and things like that and eventually um wound up with my daughter's father and had her when I was 29 mm-hmm. um, and that relationship started to break down when I was pregnant with her mm-hmm. um, so it became like kind of an unhealthy relationship quite quickly over that time um, and Amelia was born early she was two months premature oh, wow. um, so the pregnancy went quite quickly as well um, and uh, she spent like seven weeks in between NICU and special care. Um, so over that time I had uh, ended my relationship and moved from Geelong where we had lived um, to Ballarat, which is where I am now, which is just closer to some family of mine mm-hmm. um, that had been supporting me during that time. Um, so I guess I was a solo mum from when Amelia came home. Um from hospital uh, and sort of did the brunt of everything on my own. I had a lot of help from my mum. But, yeah, it was a very difficult year because Amelia had a lot of health issues and medical conditions and um, obviously that on top of a recent breakup and trying to co-parent was just quite a mix of things. I imagine that would be really hard when it's so young as well. So basically you never lived with the father when you had her no yeah wow 
No. Yeah. So, um, so he had he made he's already always maintained contact with her, but um, would just sort of be visiting when she was a baby. So, um, which was fine. But I guess yeah, I was doing all the <laughs> dealing with all the health things and the not feeding and not putting on weight and all that sort of stuff. Like I was trying to feed her, so I guess I felt the burden of that stuff probably more than he did. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, we got through that, and then. Um, I think I started reflecting when Amelia, after she turned one, things were going really well for her. Um, she was really thriving and I started to think about how ideally I wanted to have more children um, and obviously it hadn't worked out that I stayed in that relationship to have more children. Um, so I started to think about other options and about kind of waiting to meet someone and when might that happen and um, I guess all those scenarios and having some another sort of man involved in Amelia's life and I guess I just sort of played through like a lot of my experiences over my 20s in relationships that didn't um, go so well and I, I guess the combination of, of that and knowing that I got through um, that time with Amelia on my own mm-hmm. It made me think that um, that I could do it on my own again. Um, and I really, I particularly wanted Amelia to have a sibling not too uh, uh, much younger than her because um, I have had close siblings in my life and um, the relationship I have had with my sister that I was closer to in age is very different to the one I've had with the ones that were much younger than me. So I was really particular that I wanted to keep that up for my children. So uh, when I was about 18 months old, I decided that I wanted to pursue that path. So, yeah. Brilliant. So you were going to have a child with a donor for a sibling. And what did yeah. you what did you do to start that side of the journey? Um, I think I, I'd heard about or seen advertisements of like the, you know, the Monash IVF um process where you can contact them for fertility treatment and um I knew they also from sort of some internet searches had experiences with donor um supports and things like that and there was like a really easy way to make a, an appointment with a nurse mm-hmm. um so I did that I made a 15 minute phone appointment with a nurse and um, I found it difficult to conceive Amelia because I had um, polycystic ovaries. Right. Um, so I was really keen to sort of share that and talk about how that would affect, have an impact on this experience, how easy it would be or what else I'd need to consider. Um, so... I I basically just had a quick information session with her on the phone of um, what they would do where I'd start to do bloods and things like that and I'd meet with a fertility specialist and um, sort of see how fertile I was and, and there was discussions about costs involved and um, just all kinds of things, I guess, I'm trying to think what else we talked about in that appointment. Um, Did she have any uh, suggestions for what treatment you'd require because you had PCOS? So she said the options were really IUI or IVF. 
Um, because at that point I didn't, I didn't, what I knew in terms of seeking a donor was seeking an, like anonymous sperm donor through a clinic. So that was the path that I was heading on. Um, and she had said, and when I met with the fertility specialist, he had said that the plan was to do two rounds of IUI and if that didn't work, then to go to IVF. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing my history, um, I can't remember what it's called now, but he also advised and we booked in like a um, a sort of a treatment where you kind of clean out your tubes. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's a hysteroscopy with the blue yeah. dye, that weird thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I did that as well and everything was fine. Um, so um, I did that with him and then um, I started seeing, I think he was finishing practising in Ballarat, so I started seeing someone else from Monash in um, in Geelong. And then, yeah, that process was more about how to proceed and there was just a lot more than I had considered in terms of what you need to do before um, looking at donors or like actually starting the process. So um, I think we had about two appointments to go through everything and then we had two counselling sessions Um, and then I was kind of at the point where I had sort of ticked all the boxes. Mm -hmm. Um, but she'd brought up some things in the counselling session that had made me kind of reflect a little bit. Um, and I'd also been reading a lot about, um, uh, I can't remember where I had looked at this information, but, but, um, stories from donor conceived children and what was good for them and what, um, what they would have liked and things like that. I got really into watching, and reading about things like that because I was conscious that this child would be born into a sort of complex situation where I've got Amelia who sees her dad and then I'd have potentially a child who would just have me and Amelia. Um, And the counselling session was good in that it made me kind of think how how what impacts would that have and how could I make that easier for everyone. Um, so then I kind of started thinking I wanted to use a known donor, um, and that there was really limited donor sperm, um, in, in Geelong. I think there were two donors and they were both, um, non-Caucasian donors, which I didn't think was an issue until, um, uh, the, the um, specialist that I met with brought up in the counselling session about that child potentially looking quite different from Amelia and I mm. um, and how that might have an impact on them. So definitely was really worthwhile doing the counselling sessions because it just, I, I went into it thinking, yep, I know I want to do this, let's do it. But, um, yeah, it really made me reflect and, and weigh up all these things. Um so the combination of thinking of, about that and also the and also all the costs involved, which were which was fine, but it was a factor. Um, and then hearing from the accounts that I'd heard from donor conceived children about them really wanting to know um, 
like be connected with their donor and know where they came from and that that's such a big part of their identity. Um, yeah, then I thought, oh, I don't, I don't have anyone in my personal life that I could that I could ask. Um, but yeah, I started to really shift gears then and think that's the path I wanted to go down. I remembered I had a really brief conversation with a friend of mine um, way before this time um, when she was looking at becoming a solo mum and she had mentioned um, like, uh, a, like a website and a Facebook group and all these. There was this whole other world that I didn't know about where you could kind of like people were really keen to just I guess get just just be involved in donating and some of them wanted to co-parent and some of them wanted contact with children some didn't want any contact and um so I kind of just got into that um I guess into that space and started looking at what the options were um and thinking about yeah again what impacts that would have if what could go wrong here and um and would this be the best thing for us and the child um, and then it was just I had to get my head around that and then get confident in kind of committing to that idea and then looking for the right person. Um, so I came across a few that I I thought I, you know, I got a really good feeling straight away that I was like, oh, no, nah, this isn't a good fit, this won't, you know, I don't like this that they want or I don't like this part of the arrangement or whatever. Was that um, looking at, at things that they had put on the site or did you put an ad on and they were responding with that information? Yeah, first I just browsed through things and then um, and then I thought, well, if this is what I want, the best way I can find what I want is posting what, what it is I'm looking for and then the right people hopefully respond to that. So I did eventually put a post on there and people started responding and then it was, yeah, then it was kind of getting a feel for if someone was the right fit and if I was sort of going to go ahead with that. Um, and then it's like, yeah, then it's just this whole new world. Then what do you do next? And Did you get so, quite a few people responding to your, I guess we call it an ad? I don't know what you call it otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think I had maybe eight or so people um, that were sort of, you know, within between my area or, or Geelong or Melbourne or, you know, sort of in that in that region. Um, so that was good and it was nice. It was good to hear about their experiences and challenges and, you know, some would share photos and and they'd say why they were doing it or what what they sort of got out of the experience and what the setup looked like for them in terms of the contact they had with the, the children that were conceived. Um, and yeah, then I just kind of tried to get to, I guess, spoke to them a bit and tried to get to know them and then got a feel for the right fit. And I, I found that person, um, not too far into, into that process. I wasn't one of the first people I spoke to, but, um, we just kind of seemed to match on the expectations that we had and, and, I think it's a lot about the trust thing. I think we both had to really trust each other because there are re- obviously the, there's risks involved in that 
So I had I talked about it a lot with a friend that I was spending a lot of time with, and she was saying, "Oh, maybe you should you should speak to other people who's donated to, and you know, try a bit of a referee check type thing." Um, so I was talking about it a lot with a close friend, and really, I, yeah, I guess it was eventually just taking the plunge and meeting and seeing if it deciding if I could just have to go with your gut a bit and think yep I I trust this person we're going to agree to this and we're going to to do it and it's worked out really well actually. (laughs) Were they quite open with how many other people they have donated to and resulting children so you knew kind of I guess if you go through a clinic there's a a limit to how many families they can donate to. Yeah, so at the time when he reached out, he had donated to two couples that were currently pregnant and he had his own child as well. Um, he was in a, he was separated and had his own daughter. Um, so, yeah, I, that was I, part of the process was, okay, how, like, fertile are they? That was, and he had said, like, how long it had taken them to get pregnant, which was quite quick. So I was like, okay, good, because I don't want it to, like, I want it to be, happen obviously as quick as I can. Um, and we didn't really talk about how many more people he planned to donate to. Um, that's I didn't really think of that a lot at the time, but um, both of those pregnancies resulted in um, a miscarriage. So the we ended up conceiving twins and they were the yeah the first ones but he did go on to donate um i think there's seven more well there's including his daughter so six other children and the twins aren't very old so that must have happened all around the same time then do you think yeah so it took two cycles um to have the twins and to conceive the twins and yeah they're now Two years and four months, nearly two and a half. And there's been six yeah. more since then. Wow. Yeah. Yes, I know. Well, he actually had another set of twins, so that's why the numbers got up pretty quickly. Right. <laughs> so we blame right. him for the twins. Uh, I know. I didn't think it worked that way. I thought it came from the female side, but I don't know. I, he has a lot of twins in his family and has conceived two sets of twins. So. <laughs> Did he tell you about that before you proceeded with him? Yeah, but I, I, um, yeah, but not. I don't. I don't think he said it in the sense of just so you know, this is a risk. I guess um, he was telling. He just told me a lot about his family, his backgrounds, like because I was really interested to hear, like, um, I guess the background, ethnicity, and background of his mum and dad, and. Because I was thinking, you know, when I have my child, I can be like, "Oh, this is this is where you came from." Um. So he yeah he sent photos and talked a lot about his dad's a twin and talked a lot about with someone else as well another set of twins in his family. But yeah, I didn't I I didn't I don't even still know how it works if it comes if it's a genetic line through the father or not, but um. Yes, yeah, doesn't it? If it's like an egg that splits or two eggs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, my our twins, my twins were um, oh, I can't remember what they're called now. They're the IDI. Like so, they were two, two eggs and 
two placentas, two sacs. Yeah. So they, yeah. So that's more that you've kicked out two eggs that both got fertilized. Yeah. 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 So maybe it's my doing. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know if um, PCOS has got a higher chance of that as well. I'm not sure. Um, maybe. First, look into um, it. If anybody's listening and knows, they can tell us. Yeah, maybe. But I did. Um, so because I had 12 months it took to conceive Amelia, I was starting the process of seeing a fertility specialist with her and um, uh, my first appointment, her recommendation was to go on Clomid and I I just recalled that from when I was trying to conceive the second time around and I didn't end up needing to take Clomid because I ended up conceiving Amelia in the 12th. <laughs> um, but I actually did take Clomid to conceive the boys but that was because I was seeing a fertility specialist and he determined that I wasn't ovulating that first cycle. Um, so he put me on a very small dose of Clomid, knowing that that does increase the chances of multiples. Yes. Um, so I would say that is part of the... <laughs> a very big factor. Yeah. <laughs> when I was doing um, treatment with my ex and I was on Clomid and doing IUI, my third round got pulled because there's too high a chance of triplets so oh wow yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah it's 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 funny because um the dose he put me on was like a half of a low dose it was so small um and he said it's really important just to stick with the dose I give you because any and if it doesn't work we'll increase it next month because any increases do increase your chance of multiples and I went home and I thought, oh, I'm not even ovulating. This isn't going to do much. Like, would it matter if I just doubled that dose and, <laughs> like, gave me a bit more of a chance? And now I'm like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness I didn't. Otherwise <laughs> <laughs> you could have quadruplets. <laughs> yeah, yes. But, yeah, that seemed to that seemed to help conceive. So. <laughs> so when you started the process with him and you'd chosen him as a donor, you then went and saw just a fertility specialist to help make it as successful as possible? Well, I was still linked in with this specialist I was seeing through Monash. So I just, um, I went to him again when I decided to go down this path and said, I've found a, a known donor um, and I want to try to conceive outside of a clinic, um, but I still kind of want wanted to see him to monitor my fertility, I guess, um, and see if I had, you know, that's why he did that Um whenever you called it, that process with the dye. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that part of that was like, yep, now's a good time and that kind of thing. So um, I just sort of stayed connected with him until I conceived. So he was supportive of using outside the clinic, so that that's helpful. Yeah. And when you chose to go with this donor, so you obviously met him in real life and you had the, bond and you thought this is the one to go with did you do anything legal wise before you embarked on conceiving with him um I talked about I had a um I wasn't a friend but someone I got connected through um through a friend I think who who had had done the on and met someone through the same site as me um and so I sort of talked about and there was posts like on that page about you know, things that um, the women would post, like questions and things on the processes. So I was reading a lot about, I guess, doing an informal kind of process, how you how you kind of um, 
yeah, address those concerns. So I did read that um, like lots of people would do a contract and I read that, that it wouldn't be something that would hold up in court, but I guess it would be viewed as if that contract was broken, I guess it would be viewed in court as like, oh, you did have this agreement, but it just seemed like it wouldn't really stand for much. Um, so I was going to do something like that and I was looking at um, what I'd have in there and all of that kind of thing, um, but I didn't end up doing that mostly because I felt like it wouldn't really achieve that much long term and I, I feel like we were really clear with each other from the start on on what on how it would unfold yeah. and I I also was like I thought my biggest thing was oh what if he changes his mind and wants to have more involvement with them um but that like that wasn't a huge concern to me because I wouldn't um I wouldn't I didn't think that I'd have a really big problem with that like it wasn't a deal breaker so I thought if that's the worst thing that can happen then I think I'm good here <laughs> yeah and so it took two cycles to conceive the boys and yes. was that just you monitored your ovulation and then he came around or how did that work yeah so I used um the digital like clear blue I think it is like the ovulation test I started trying to use um there's like a saliva test you can use and you look under a microscope and you see what whatever pattern you see means you're fertile or not fertile and it just got so ridiculous like I'd be taking photos and sending it to my friend and being like do you see this shape, this shape? <laughs> it was too messy so I just needed something to say yes or no so I used those and then um it was like really not a great time to meet people and try and conceive because it was COVID was quite a big like we were I think there was we we were just about to go into a lockdown but there was like a lot of rules about meeting people and um I what I ended up doing is I got a motel and we met there so he we just kind of wanted a neutral space I guess to be rather than me go to his house and so then he had the space to um do what he needed to do and then I went for a walk and came back and were you just doing it once in the cycle when it said that you were ovulating? I did it twice so I remember doing it like as soon as I'd get like on the on the ovulation thing you get like a little flashing smiley face when it's approaching your ovulation so I remember we we just worked out that we were available to both do um two so I do one when that sort of first came up and then one when it was like ovulation day um so I did that the first month and didn't work and then the second month um but that was the second month I was on Clomid by then as well mm. and so did you know pretty quickly that you were successful with that second round um I had it I had a feeling because um like because I'd been pregnant before I guess I was more clued into like the subtle sort of changes so I noticed a few things early on but I also was you know I was not going to be really terribly unhappy if it wasn't successful because I knew it would just be like a matter of time so um yeah a few things a few things I noticed and I thought oh maybe um 
but yeah, I was still I was actually really surprised when it worked because after trying for twelve months with Amelia, I was like, oh wow, this actually worked after two months. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I had a um scan at seven weeks. I just I had a yeah, complicated pregnancy with Amelia, obviously that resulted in preterm birth. So I I decided to go um with an obstetrician and privately. So I um, yeah, did my first scan with him and talked about my history with Amelia and um, I said to him, oh, I've just got this weird feeling about twins. I said, I don't. Like my my pregnancy results have been really strong. My my HCG, I think, was really high and I just, I said I did take Clomid. I know that's a risk. And he said, oh, it's really unlikely um especially like with PCOS and all that stuff so um I was like oh I know it's just like I thought about it with Amelia too I just had this feeling with Amelia and I was like oh no it's really like I'm just being silly but I'm just anxious about it because I knew twins obviously when I already had a high risk pregnancy twins would make the risks even higher and I wasn't quite prepared to have two more children I was only prepared to have one more (laughs) um but he did the scan and um, I I wasn't looking because I was really anxious about it and I saw him turn to me and sort of smirk and he said, there's two babies and two heartbeats and I was just like, no. But he wanted one. <laughs> yeah, so and then like there's all these other, you know, obviously like with PCOS you're more likely to miscarry. I think the percentage is so high. It's like 40 or 45% I read. I don't know that. So then I was thinking, oh, this might not even, you know, I know uh, I know, commonly like you can lose one quite early. So I, I thought, oh, maybe this is just not going to actually eventuate. But, um, but it did. <laughs> and was your pregnancy complicated or simple compared? Um, it, was, it was pretty good until um, well, maybe around... 20 24 weeks like about halfway through so the 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 complication I had with Amelia is that she was growth restricted and I had severe preeclampsia so he was monitoring me closely for um for preeclampsia um and they the twins started measuring a bit small about halfway through the pregnancy um and my blood pressure started creeping up so it was just a process then of regular scans and medication and regular reviews um, with the obstetrician. And how long did you manage to keep them in for? Um, I got to 32 and a half weeks. So I got three days or four days over my um, time with Amelia. <laughs> I saw that as a bit of a win. But, yeah, I was still really upset that it resulted in it. You know, obviously that just adds a lot more stress and and issues for the twins so it yeah it wasn't a great time but but they actually they didn't have any complications that Amelia had they really thrived after they were born yeah fascinated need to get out in the world a bit earlier yes my body can't go past 32 apparently <laughs> Seems how, did, um, how did Amelia cope with that if you would have been obviously in NICU and stuff with them and had her at home and um I, I tried to prepare her because, I, I mean, I was aware that they'd probably come early and as time went on, 
like I was really closely monitored. So I knew like the week before I was, I, I, the obstetrician got me to go and get steroid injections and he's like, it's going to be soon. So I had that opportunity to kind of, I'd been reading books with Amelia and I um, was able to say the babies will be here soon and so they might be a bit small so I, they might need to stay in hospital for a while and I might be away for a little bit resting. So um, I had my mum around so she um, spent a bit of time with Amelia and then she was sort of back and forth between my parents and Amelia's dad while um, the boys were born and they were transferred to um, NICU in Melbourne. So I spent a bit of time down there two weeks. Um, so it was a bit tricky for her because she was going between, I was staying in like a little, like an accommodation provided by the hospital nearby. That's like a share house type thing. So she was staying there with me sometimes and then with her dad in Geelong. So um, I mean, she seemed okay, but I think that that would have been hard. Yeah. Mm. And so they get to come home when they were full term? Yeah, they came home a bit earlier. I think the boys were 37 weeks. So, yeah, um, they stayed in for five weeks. Um, and, yeah, they came. My dad um, took two and a half weeks off work and just stayed with us at Excellent. first. Yeah, um, and I was I breastfed both the boys, um, but I was expressing as well. So he was helping to do feeds, and um, he was up because they were little and prem. We had to sort of set alarms, and like I couldn't rely on them to wake me up to be fed. So I had to wake them up and make sure they were feeding really regularly. Um, so yeah, we'd get up and do that the rounds of feeds and changes and be in this I'd express and do my dad had like clean bottles and like he was just so good he he'd be like okay I'll see you again in an hour we'd go and have a quick nap again um and then had Amelia obviously um was adjusting to having the boys around and having me like she was sleeping in my bed still so having me in and out of the bed because I'd come and feed them down in the lounge so it was it was tricky, but it was really so helpful having him stay. Obviously, they helped out a lot, and they were supportive once you had the boys. How were they when you when you told them that you were going to consider having a a baby on your own with a donor? Um, so I think they were a little bit apprehensive. My dad definitely was. Um. I don't think my actual memory my mum was so much um, or my sister or anyone else I kind of spoke to, but my dad was quite a very cautious person and um, I think was just concerned about how I would cope. Yeah. And any implications like, you know, because he knew the pregnancy I'd been through with Amelia, so he's very wise and he thought of those things. But um, I was very much like, it'll be fine. <laughs> Um, but like once I actually didn't give my dad much time to process, I think I told him when I'd already started sort of committed to the process and started. And then of course, yeah, that think by then the next month I'd conceived. So he kind of didn't have much time to wrap his head around it. And then the next month I told him it was twins. So he was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <dear>. <laughs> <laughs> One month I'm doing this next up a successful third. Oh yeah. And by the way, it's twins. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes. So but he, like, obviously, 
he he came around and he's he's been great. He's very involved with them. Um, so yeah, I guess it's just probably not a conventional thing. No one else has kind of done that in our family. So, just interrupting this episode for a quick word from our sponsors. Not only have City Fertility sponsored this episode, they are also extending a very generous 20% off discount for all of my listeners. That's 20% off IUI, IVF, ICSI, as well as six months complimentary egg, sperm and embryo storage. If you're just starting out or about to undergo treatment to make your baby dreams come true, head to the show notes for my discount code and a link to their website for more information. So now everyone's a little bit older. You've got three kids, what, under five, under six? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amelia's five and a half, yeah, and the boy's nearly two and a half, so. How's life yeah. with, the, with that? <laughs> it's really busy. Amelia's just out of prep, so we, I, um, and I'm working full-time now, so it's just juggling childcare and school and pickups and drop-offs and work and then um, coming home and kind of we have this routine down pat with dinner, bath, teeth, bed. <laughs> Of stories in bed so it feels really kind of monotonous and things but there's a like there's a lot of good stuff in that like as well um guess kids really like routine I find like routine a bit boring sometimes but it's I mean they thrive off that so it's um and we have nice little rituals and things like um you know, we spend a lot of time in my bed reading books together and the kids often, like, I fly with them to fall asleep and um, even though I guess my time with them is limited because I'm working and there's definitely, like, some really stressful, hard times but there's some really nice times as well. So it's just busy. It's really busy. How old were the boys when you went back to work full-time? Um... So they would have been 12 months, I think, or maybe 15 months. Life is probably a little bit easier when everyone's in childcare, but I'm imagining with a a school and childcare, just. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I found it. I actually found, even though like the balance is hard, um, I found it really, I was finding it really hard being at home with them all on my own every day. Yeah. Um, and I really was missing work and just felt like I needed, I probably didn't need a full-time job, but I just needed something back and then this this job came up and um, it was what it was, so I took it. But, yeah, I just, I was finding it, I was at the point where I was like, I just, I need something else. This is, this is. I just needed kind of a bit more balance back. What would you say was the hardest thing of the first year with three of them? Um, I think just juggling everyone's different needs. Um, so I like Amelia was still only three. I feel like she she was she still needed me a lot. And even though I think that, like I've heard of people like doing the it's a smaller age gap and say that oh you know three's better because they know what's happening they're more independent but I feel like on your when you're on your own three is not a big sometimes because mm-hmm. yeah I found that she had a really hard time I guess 
not always being the first, um, you know, the one that would always get what they needed first. Yeah. Um, so that's been, and it was hard doing that. It was, it was hard um, juggling the boys because sometimes, like it took me a while, I eventually tanned them fed them but it took uh, like a few months to get that down pat so there'd be times when they'd both be screaming and I was on my own and I'd have to just prioritize who was screaming the most to me but like there were times like that where it was just yeah always prioritizing okay who needs this more than this person (laughs) and it was just doing that over and over and over and over again and not getting much you know, as newborns, like there's, and because I was expressing to try and build supply up as well, there'd be about, by the time I finished that whole feeding cycle, it'd be an hour's break till they were up again feeding. Um, So it was, yeah, that component was hard too, just the relentlessness. <laughs> yeah. The so life may be a little bit easier now that they're a bit older. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Like, I mean, we 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 go. Th- I guess they still go through hard times. Like with Trent, like I'm really starting school, and the boys having this sort of sleep regression they seem to be having. But um, I mean, for the most part, everyone's happy and settled and becoming more independent. And um, yeah, it makes a big difference having a solid night's sleep. <laughs> yeah yeah because at least when things are full on if it's a busy like on the weekends if it's a flat out day or the day's not gone well it's like they'll be in bed and then I'll have you know five hours or whatever until someone wakes up so yeah that part's definitely easier and since you've had the boys what contact have you had with the donor um so we, I sort of kept him up to date with the pregnancy because he knew that um, there was the risk of me having them early. So um, I, I kept him up to date with when I thought that I'd have them. Um, and he was, he had said um, really early in the piece that he particularly wanted to meet them when they were born. But um, with COVID and being premature and stuff, it wasn't really going to work. So when they were um, in special care but kind of out of like almost ready to come home he came to the hospital and met them um I took a photo of him with them and then it was just been like I guess here and there um sometimes he will send me a message and say how they're going and sometimes I'll send a photo and especially like you know when they walked for the first time or or their first laugh or whatever like I just send a little snippet of that every so often um and then it sort of worked out every couple of months he would visit them like in the first year and now it's sort of more like every three or four months mm-hmm. um that he'll pop over and see them or we'll meet somewhere at the park or whatever so um yeah I'm not sure that the boys actually are really I don't see him enough to remember who he is. Like I don't, I don't think they have a relationship with him. But I guess the idea is that I've got like this um, book about 
how they came to be and I guess they'll always know and like Amelia's very aware that um, he helped to make them. So, um, yeah, that's the idea is that they'll always have access to him, I suppose, and if we, if they wanted to see more of him at some point, that could be something, like there's always a way to contact him and, and I know I guess that he would be pretty receptive to seeing them if they initiated that as well. Yeah, track. probably yeah. one of the things you were looking at when you were trying to choose them originally. Yeah, yeah, because I was just aware that I thought that would be important to them. Um, but then it's just a delicate balance because it's like, oh, I don't want them also having unrealistic expectations of this person and or what if they get really involved for the first five years and then they drop off the face of the earth? And so it was, it's, yeah, it was so much to consider, I think. But so far things have gone pretty smoothly. Do you think there's kind of an added complexity that Amelia has a dad and they'll be seeing that Amelia has a dad and they don't? Or Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, um, I was sort of, yeah, cued into thinking that way with, in the counselling sessions and I thought I thought I'd really better keep that very separate like we don't really I don't spend time with her dad so I thought it would for some reason I kind of thought it wouldn't be as much of an issue because I thought oh it might be nice because the boys will see that time that she's with her dad as that their time like special time with me and I just have to you know remember to make that time for Amelia because she wouldn't have that naturally just that time with me um but I guess circumstances just are that they see they've become very aware they see him very regularly because we um we've only just gone to every second weekend now with her starting school but she was um going up every week so they would be seeing him when we exchange and um yeah that has been a tricky thing because I'm just conscious of I don't I want them to be really aware of how our family is made up and who's who and, you know, how everything came to be. But I just am really conscious of them feeling um, a bit on, I don't know, a bit, I don't know what the word is, like, um, like they're missing out on something. So... Um, I've just been really conscious to I I don't really want them to develop any relationship with him like any and maybe I've been a bit too conscious of that like I don't really want them playing and interacting a lot because I just I think oh that it's so easy to build a relationship with little people because they're so like beautiful and playful and but I've been mindful of putting a bit of a boundary there because I guess then then it will be hard for them if they become closer with him and see that, oh, we don't get to go to see him like Amelia does, and then it adds complexity to an already complex situation. <laughs> um, yeah, so and that I guess as time goes on, there'll be new considerations to think about and... Um, and things there'll be things that change and shift but yeah that's just 
both with the donor and with Amelia's dad, I've been conscious of trying to keep a bit of a boundary there for that reason. Makes sense. Mm. If you could look back now on your journey, is there anything you think you'd do differently? Um, well, knowing now that I was going to have twins <laughs> and going to have such a complicated pregnancy, I'd probably, um, I think, uh, I didn't know how much support I'd need. So um, I think I would spend more time really solidifying my support network and I guess planning um, planning for things to be harder than what I thought they'd be. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, in whatever way that could, would be. I don't know how I could plan for that. So like, you can only plan for so much, but... Um, I guess I probably, I would have, um, I think a lot of the ones I've, a lot of the podcasts I've listened to of yours, um, a lot of the women say that they would not wait as long, but for me, I'd probably wait a bit longer. Uh, between um, them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just to, uh, knowing how our story panned out, just to make it a bit easier. Um, waiting a bit longer, building up my supports and things and being a bit more, I guess, more prepared for things to not go exactly as I thought they might go. <laughs> um, but, yes, it all worked out eventually. And if anyone is just considering whether this is the right path for them, if they do have a child from a previous relationship, which I guess you're you're a bit unique. I haven't had many people in that situation. Is there any special mm. considerations you think that they should be aware of when they've got that existing kind of, I guess, relationship with the father? And yeah, um, I yeah, I guess I didn't think about. I only sort of started observing this after they were born, but um, I didn't think about. I was very aware of like the relationship they would have with their donor, but I didn't think about um, them observing the relationship between Amelia and her dad and how or interacting with him and potentially developing a bit of a connection with him. So that's, um, I think, being aware that, I mean, you can't avoid, <laughs> you can't avoid some things like that happening. So I think being aware of that and how you'll manage that um, would have been good to think about earlier for me. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I was really clear with how I would speak about it with Amelia, and I think, um, I think that was really good because it, it is complicated and sort of difficult to get your head around. So, um, yeah, it was good that I was, yeah, I felt prepared and like I had the right language to use, and um, that I was really kind of open with her about um yeah how they came to be and what our family sort of looked like uh, and really encouraged her to ask questions and to kind of yeah like I think that's something that came that I was important to do I guess in this situation but that I I did that one well I think <laughs> The kind of the one thing I'm really taking out of this conversation is if anyone is considering this journey mm -hmm. and if they are looking at, at doing more the the known slash you know Facebook type donors, 
if they can have those counseling sessions, that makes a massive difference for the processing of everything mm. you're about to go through. I think that's really helped you a lot with how you talk to Amelia about it and the considerations that yeah. you wouldn't have had if you hadn't had that counseling session. Yeah, that was really beneficial. So I had the two sessions and they're, they're like 90 minutes long, I think. They're very um, comprehensive and like challenging conversations. So I think, yeah, I think they're so important because even like I thought I knew exactly what I was doing, but, yeah, it's just having someone, I guess, professional removed from the situation that's in that zone is was really helpful. I think especially because yours is a more complex situation with already having yeah. this child and you're just thinking, I'm just going to get pregnant and have another child. But, yeah, there's all yeah. these other complexities to, to work Yeah, on. yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that was good. And she had said after I told her that I was wouldn't be going through the clinic and using a known donor, she said that like I could still just book an appointment with her at any time about the you know, any to talk through any donor, like how I'd talk to them, my child or children about the donor and just other things, other complexities with having a known donor. And I didn't I haven't gone back and seen her but I liked that like knowing that I could like she'd be the best person to go to and say oh my child's asking this or what do I do with this mm. fantastic service isn't it yeah and they link you with like other services that you know books and resources and things like that so it was really good and have you developed any a relationship with any of the other parents of the children that have been through the same donor um, so the other set of twins live in Melbourne and um, he connected us up in like a messenger group. Um, so we've sort of exchanged photos, I guess, like have the twin thing in common as well. So we've exchanged a few that they had. I think their twins are eight months old. Um, so a bit younger, but, yeah, kind of exchanged stories a bit and we haven't met in person or sort of made plans to do that. But, um I guess it's nice knowing there's a way to do that if we decided to or if the, our kids wanted to do that at some point. Yeah. And yeah. Think, will he facilitate contact with any of the other parents if that's something that you wanted? Um, I think one he, I'm trying to think, um, one he had lost contact with. Um. But he hadn't brought it up with, um, I don't know if he hadn't brought it up or if, or if he'd had conversations with them and they weren't keen, but we haven't talked about the others um, as yet and sort of connecting. I think I think he just naturally sort of paired us up because we were the twin ones. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it would be really nice if I... If I knew how I could contact them, I guess, not so much for now but down the track. Mm. And if anyone's looking to use a known donor through those means, are there any red flags or any advice you'd give anyone for what to avoid <laughs> from what you learned? Um, I, I found like there were some really pushy people that responded to that ad. Um, so they, yeah, people, some of the men that responded would, I'd say, you know, we'd start talking about what we wanted and, and some of the men were really like, um, no, I only do this, I only do that way and I only, I want, yeah, I don't know, I just got offside when 
when I would say, no, this is what I want, and they'd be like, oh, no, I'm going to do this or whatever it might be, like in terms of contact or how they're conceived or um, how many um, they would have. Yeah, I found the pushiness when people started to push back on things. I was like, oh, no, (laughs) I want this just to be kind of, yeah, we're on the same wavelength. We've got to go into it thinking you're hopefully going to have a relationship with this person at some extent yeah. for a long time. So, yeah, if they get you back up from that, you probably don't want anything from them. Yeah, yeah, pushy people or people that I felt um, like were a bit cagey with information. Um, yeah, I wanted there to be no, like, just very open communication. Um and like there were some that had conceived a lot of children, so I also was like, oh, I think over ten is that's a bit much. Hmm. Um, I guess at least they at least they're honest about it. That's a that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was I think someone's said like they were sixteen or seventeen, and I was like, oh, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, too much. Um, but yeah, otherwise. Yeah, it was just kind of sensing, trying to find out about that person and I guess the motivation behind that decision. Um, and, yeah, it was more like that gut feeling for me. That's what I based a lot of it on. If, if anything felt, not even a red flag, but if anything was like we're not jallying, the communication's not flowing, like I was just like, nah. <laughs> It's like internet dating, really, isn't it? Yeah. You can't answer yeah. my question back. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, it feels like a long time ago now, but I, I remember being really um, strong with, like, when I cut people off and decided they were a no. Yeah. Mm. And so if anyone's on the fence about whether this is the, the right path mm-hmm. to embark on solo motherhood, is there any advice you'd give them? I mean, I think if you're already thinking about it, it's it's likely to be the right path because, yeah, then you already know that you feel comfortable doing this on your own and you don't sort of, you're happy to do this without a partner. I think the counselling and sort of research, like talking to other, other solo mums, I think getting a really, really clear picture of what it is like day to day um like some I know some solo mums have a really good network of support but and then some don't and I think you need to get a really good understanding of of what it's what it's like day to day like when you don't have someone to worry about them with or bounce you know just like if something horrible happens to one of them like not having not having kind of someone to come home to and help with with the bath routine or to share stuff with, I think that is really hard and you don't realise how hard that is until until you're looking for someone to share all that stuff with, like until you're in it, until it's happening. So I think you have to be totally okay with that. <laughs> I guess find it hard and sometimes it's not, like sometimes it's sad because it, you know, you, you, these like little people, your whole world, and you want to share them all the time with people. But 
I think if you're okay with that, that's really hard, not having someone to share the load with or to sort of tag team with and then not having someone to sort of share the great stuff with, like really closely anyway, and the um, the hard stuff. Um, I think if you can get around those two things, that they've been probably the hardest things for me. And it's all worth it. Yeah, it is. It really is. They... Yeah, when I, um, you know, part, like I said, part of the reason was the sibling, like sibling relationships were really important to me. And when I see, I mean, they have their little quarrels, but when I watch them together, I just think this is it. Like this is what I wanted. I got it. This is what I wanted for them. Um, So, I mean, yeah, it's it's certainly been very hard, a lot harder than I thought it would be, but. Um, like I did it. I feel like I did. I thought I didn't know if I could do this when I found out about the being twins, and I did it. And I, I had a lot of help to do it, but I did most of it. And they're great. Like they're such beautiful, happy, healthy kids. And yeah, I wouldn't swap that for anything. And that's all on you, Mama Bear. So. <laughs> Yes, I've still got a long way to go. Um, <laughs> they're only two and five, but, <laughs> but, you know, first two years are very hard. <laughs> What's one thing in the future you're really looking forward to doing with the three of them? Um, I really like, I used to go on a lot of holidays with Amelia and it's much harder to do now, obviously, with the twins. Um, so I have done a couple, but it just... <laughs> too much stress so I'm really looking forward to when like I don't want to wish time away but when they're old enough to be able to you know go on a plane to um Queensland or go on a camping trip or you know things that are just a bit out of reach at the moment because they're too a bit too little and need you know too much for me or you know with the boys at the moment like they it's hard to take them anywhere without being in an enclosed space because they just run and obviously got no sense of danger. And um, so I think it'll be nice. I think we'll be able to build those nice memories that Amelia and I started to when um, maybe when the boys are sort of four, five plus. Um, I'm really looking forward to doing stuff like that, feeling like I can just go, oh, it's a long weekend, let's go away or um or let's just jump in the car and do a day trip whereas now it's like oh I think of like nap times and the double pram and like it's just so much more complicated <laughs> about 18 months away hopefully those things will start becoming yeah yes I'm looking forward to that a lot well thank you so much for sharing your story tonight Renee it's really great to have that perspective not only of life with twins but life when you've, you've got a child with another partner previous to it as well so I think a lot of people will get a lot out of you sharing your story so thank you so much well thank you for having me thank you it's nice to talk about (laughs) I'm Alicia and this is the no need for prince charming podcast bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.